Well, now let's give attention to the reading of God's word. Uh, Jody's going to come forward and um, read for you. I'll go ahead and let him know. John, I mean, uh, Hebrews 13. Turn to Hebrews 13, and Jody will tell you what page that will be on. Thanks, Jody. If you need a Bible, they're in the seats uh, in front of you, and it's page 1,194. So we're reading Hebrews 13, 1 through 3, and then 15 and 16. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Therefore, Jesus, uh, excuse me, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifice, God is pleased. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Jody. Let's look to the Lord in prayer before we dig in. Father, we can't tell you how thankful we are for the fact that you've chosen to communicate with your people. You did it uh, beautifully, of course, and without parallel by sending us Jesus, by allowing your son Jesus to come to live the life that we should have lived, to die the death we deserve to die, to rise again and ascend to heaven, we thank you for this good, good news. And we thank you too, Father, that you've chosen to give us a book, the Bible, to read, to study, to see ourselves in and to see you in, to be daily able to listen to your spoken word. Father, thank you so much for that. And we pray now that as we Give attention to uh, this preaching that you will let the Holy Spirit use my words and use our time together in the word to conform us into the image of Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing today a study that began back in December. It's a study of, of a letter called the book of Hebrews in the Bible, in the New Testament. And we've come a long way. We began back in December, and now here we are in chapter 13. Series called Jesus the Crux. The Crux, that word means he's the essence, the main thing, the main point of the book, the main point of life. So we're continuing today to look at what the apostle here wants to say in in this last chapter. Uh, Some of you know that last week I went to a seminar up in Charlotte, North Carolina. It was a seminar on the use of a Bible study program called Lagos. Some of you use that. It was an excellent seminar. Had a great time. I was up there Thursday and Friday. And my plane was to leave at 4.30 in the afternoon on Friday. I had my rental car. I was heading to the airport. I was trying to get there on time, and it didn't work. My rental car situation, uh, traffic got in the way. The return process took a lot longer than I thought it would getting to the airport on the shuttle bus and then walking all the way down to the gate. It just took so long. I didn't, I was a minute and a half late. I didn't know they do this nowadays, but when they close that door, they close that door. You cannot get on the flight. So I missed my plane. I walked over to the lady. I figured, okay, about in an hour or two, there'll be another flight to Orlando. The next flight was not until 16 hours later. 
Saturday morning, the next plane was to leave at 10.50 in the morning. Here it was, 4.30 in the afternoon on Friday. What do I do? I decided I would just camp out there in the airport. I didn't want to go get a taxi, go to a hotel. You know, all that stuff's way too time-consuming. So I, I just figured I'll just stay in the, in the uh, airport. So for the first time in my, in my life, I missed a plane, and I stayed overnight in an airport. I'm sure some of you have done that, and it's probably a routine. But it wasn't actually so bad because I did my sermon in the airport. I observed life in the airport. It was actually kind of a, kind of a good time. And one thing that I did was I was sitting in this chair, in the airport, and I was right across the hallway from a Wendy's inside the Charlotte airport, right across from a Wendy's, Wendy's fast food. And as I was looking there, I thought, I saw this picture, and I thought that is the perfect way to illustrate my sermon and to begin my sermon. It was a picture, large picture, and it was an ad for Wendy's of a, of a woman sitting in a rocking chair. In her lap, she had a Kindle, so she was reading a book, And in her right hand was a large order of Wendy's fries. And the first thing that hit me was, that is so unrealistic. You know, I don't know too many attractive young women sitting, reading a book, and eating a whole big order. I mean, the fries were just, it was huge. The fries were pouring out of that little container. So she was sitting there holding these fries, reading her book, and and uh, and looking good and being an ad picture person. So there it was, and I thought, okay, let's look at this picture a little bit more. And it was so fascinating. Um, around the fries on this picture was a circle, and a caption right out by that picture of the fries said, real food. Now that's debatable, but we'll leave that for another discussion. And then the woman herself had a circle on the ad around her head, And off to the side was this caption, real people. And then out in the big space of the ad, in bigger letters, were these words. You know when it's real. Now, the science of advertising is fascinating for one thing. What does that have to do with Wendy's hamburgers and fries? I don't know. Nothing. But what I got out of that was the lead-in to this message today. You know when it's real. How do you know when someone's faith is real? How do you know when someone who professes to be a follower of Jesus is really a follower of Jesus? And the answer to that question here in Hebrews 13 is that you know it's real when you see that person doing the kind of things described in this morning's text, loving your brothers and sisters, entertaining strangers, remembering people in prison, caring about the mistreated, and so on and so forth, you know it's real when those things are evidenced in the life. In other words, you know, you know when someone is really a follower of Jesus when they do justice. Say that again. You know when someone is really a follower of Jesus, when they do justice. That's what we're going to look at. That's what we're going to talk about today. What is justice? I used to think that justice is merely punishing wrongdoers. But it's a lot more than that. That's one element, but it's more than that. If you look at the word justice throughout the Bible, you find out that that's not all it is. 
Justice means treating people equitably. It means giving people their rights, protecting the vulnerable from being exploited and oppressed. Probably the best known passage of the Bible that talks about justice is Micah 6, 8. You might have heard this before many times. It says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? That word justice is the Hebrew word mishpat, and it's all over the place in the Bible. Sometimes you ought to take out your English concordance and just look at the word justice and see all of the many times that it's in the Bible. And you would see that justice is not just putting people in prison. Justice is a lot more than that. That's one piece. But it means treating people with fairness, equity, compassion. Isaiah 1.17 says, Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Encourage the oppressed. Defend the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Those are all examples of what the Bible means when it says justice. In the book of Amos, the prophet Amos chapter 5, he says, I hate, this is God speaking, he says, I hate, I despise your religious feasts. I cannot stand your assemblies. You know what I hear God saying? It's not real. It's not real. Stop having your worship services. It's not real. Because he goes on to say, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So, to do justice means being passionately concerned about the plight of other people, especially the poor and the marginalized. And like I said earlier today, that's one of our big mission fields. We believe God put us here uniquely and gave us unique passions and gifts to care for the poor, the marginalized, the vulnerable, the weak, the oppressed, the exploited, the lonely, the single, the divorced. People who are in a unique position to be able to be taken advantage of by others who need the assistance of the world to come alongside them and love them. Those are the people God's called us to care for. And our author is going to tell us here in Hebrews 13 that that is one of the chief identifying marks of someone who really knows Jesus. The author has spent 12 long chapters telling us who Jesus is. And now he comes here to chapter 13, and he's going to say this, and we're going to take the next few weeks to inch our way through chapter 13, taking peace here, peace there, peace there. Here he comes to chapter 13, and he's going to say, now that you know who Jesus is, and now that you understand his role as your high priest, as your new and living way to God, as the author and perfecter of our faith, as the intercessor. Now that you know Jesus in all of the magnificent ways that I've told you about in chapters 1 through 12, here is how you should then live. And today he's going to say, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. So what I want to do this morning is show you three things about justice from this chapter. First, what does it look like? Secondly, where does it come from? And thirdly, how can you begin to do justice if you're not already doing so? So let's begin with that first point, what justice looks like. I'd like to show you three things from this chapter that justice looks like. We could say more, but these three are very clear in Hebrews 13. Three things. First, justice looks like meeting the practical needs of people around you. 
And by the way, I'm just going to give you a little preview. Each of these three is going to push you more and more out of your comfort zone. (laughs) Here's where it begins. Meeting the everyday needs of people around you is what justice looks like in the first place. Look at verse 1 where the author says, keep on loving each other as brothers. Friends, what God is calling us to is to be a place, a people, a body of believers in Jesus who keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. And I'd like you to notice that this follows on the heels of the end of chapter 12. Keep in mind, there were no chapter divisions in the Bible when it was originally written. This is something that people have added over the years, right? And so when we look at number one, verse one, keep on loving each other as brothers, we shouldn't forget what was just said. Up at the bottom of chapter 12, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Isn't it interesting that where there is true worship, there ought to be and is true love for one another. If God is being worshipped rightly, there you will find love for the brothers and sisters in the church family. The word love is the Greek word Philadelphia. You know the city of brotherly love. Philadelphia is a Greek word made up of two, uh, two words in the Greek language. Philos, affection or kindness, and Adelphos, meaning brother, and we believe that that would also obviously include sisters. This is not a male-only club here, but love, affection for the brothers and sisters. The early church, you know, excelled at brotherly love. If you go back into the book of Acts, the early chapters of Acts, Acts chapter 4, for example, says that there were no needy persons among them. So, Brotherly love is not just a feeling. It's not just a I like you kind of thing. Brotherly love is an action. It's a verb in which you and I are consciously meeting one another's needs. And that's one part of justice. Later on, the early church set up a daily distribution of food to the widows who were in that church. And it got to be one day that the Greek-speaking widows were being neglected in this daily distribution. And so what did the early church do? They set up a new structure called deacons because they wanted to make sure that they were a place and a people of justice. They wanted to meet the needs of the group of widows that were in their congregation. Now, of course, you will say to me, the author is obviously talking here about loving your fellow Christians. And so you might say, well, Mike, what, what this is, is is really just restricted to the church. Isn't that true? Well, it is maybe in that verse. But I would remind you of what Jesus said in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember that a, an expert in the law came to Jesus one day and said, who's my neighbor? And Jesus taught this whole parable that's so well known about the Good Samaritan. The point of which was everybody you, that you meet is, is your neighbor. Everyone you meet is someone who has needs. And your job and my calling as God's people is to always be aware of who is the person that's in my path today. What needs do they have? That's doing justice, not just to people who are professing Christians. So justice in the first place is meeting the practical needs of people around you. Your neighbor needs a meal because she's home from the hospital after having a baby. You're there. Somebody's car is in the shop. Here are the keys to mine. You take it. Somebody needs money? Oh, look, I've got some. Tell me when to stop. 
Somebody needs a listening ear. I'm stopping everything. I'm all ears. I want to hear what you have to say. A friend has it up to here with the kids and just needs a break. Hey, can I come over and sit with your kids so you and your husband can have a dinner out? That's the kind of thing that I'm talking about. Do you need a ride to the airport? Okay, let's go. I'll do it. If I can, I will. Having those everyday run-of-the-mill needs before you is a very, very important part of doing justice. Okay, that's the first thing. Secondly, what does justice look like? In the second place, it looks like opening up your home to people who are outside your circle of family and friends. You remember I said we're moving a little further out from the center, opening up your home to people outside your circle of family and friends. See verse 2, the author says, Do not forget to entertain strangers. Another translation says, Don't forget to, to show hospitality. Here the word is philoxenia. That's interesting, isn't it? Philadelphia, kindness for the brother. Philoxenia, kindness or affection for the stranger. That's what hospitality is. And this was very important in the world of the first century. There were poor and homeless people wandering around who needed shelter. There were traveling evangelists who needed a place to stay for the night. There were persecuted Christians who were being run out of their homes by the religious and political establishment of the day. Several letters of the New Testament you might read, First Peter, Romans, exhorted Christians to be people who were hospitable and who were willing and able to open up their homes and hearts to people that they had never met before. Now, let's be honest, this is not always easy to do, is it? A lot of times across our minds comes this thought, it's so inconvenient, I don't know if I want to do this. Or my husband and I are tired tonight, we don't feel like having people over. And look at my home, it's a wreck. So it's not always something that we lean toward doing. That's why the author feels compelled to say in verse 2, don't forget to do this. He knows that our temptation, the flesh, wants to stray away from this. And so he says, don't forget to do this. This is important stuff. Don't keep putting it off, he says. I want to say, who says that you've got to have a clean house in order to practice hospitality? Who said that? It's not true. Who said that you can't say to your guest, hey, why don't you bring over a vegetable? You can do that. Make it easier on yourself to do verse 2. Not too long ago, there was a couple that was new to Orlando, brand new visitors to our church, and another couple who's been worshiping here with us for a long time was talking to them after the service. They just were talking to them, getting to know them better, and they said, hey, we've got some soup at home. Why don't you guys come over for lunch? That's what I'm talking about, doing justice. Looks like showing hospitality for people that you may not even know very well. And notice the author tacks on an incentive at the end of verse 2. If it's not enough for you to just do it because God says to do it, he gives you a reason to do it. He says, for by so doing, some have entertained angels without knowing it. This is probably referring back to Genesis 18, where Abraham and Sarah entertained three visitors. Turns out one of them was the angel of the Lord, and the other two were, yes, real angels. I'm not saying that you're ever going to actually have angels come visit you and and be entertained in your home, but you never know. Maybe you will. At minimum, this means that you'll get a blessing out of it when you do it. So justice looks like meeting everyday needs, and it looks like 
hospitality. Third thing it looks like, getting personally and sacrificially involved with people who are weak, afflicted, and vulnerable. Notice the key adjectives getting, adverbs rather, getting personally and sacrificially involved with people who are weak, afflicted, suffering in some way. Look at verse 3. The apostle says, remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now this is out there on the edge, isn't it, of discomfort for most of us. And I want to be very clear. Down through the ages, this has always been the normal Christian life. Down through the ages, this has been the responsibility of the church. Not to say government doesn't have a place. Not to say charities and nonprofits don't have a place because all of us do. But the church has always and must always take responsibility to minister to the needy. And yet, for some reason, many of us think we don't have to do it. And truth be known, many of us don't want to do it. Truth be known, I many times don't want to do verse 3. It's very convicting to me personally. I love my time. I love my comfort. I love my space. Many times I see in my heart an inclination to ignore the people in our society who are most in need of my love. But God couldn't be more clear than he is in his word about that. In Matthew uh, 25, Jesus tells that pretty well-known parable, the sheep and the goats. And he says about the sheep, I was hungry and you, you sheep, gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Verse 2 of our text. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Exactly the kind of things referred to here in Hebrews 13. I've always been struck when I read the book of Job by the way Job did justice. Now I know Job gets a bum rap about a lot of things. He had some issues. God had to confront Job. But there's one thing about Job that is not wrong. It was all right. And that was his lifestyle of doing justice. Turn with me. Hold your place in Hebrews 13. And go back in your Bible to the book of Job chapter 29 for a moment. Job is the book right to the left of Psalms. You know, Psalms is in the middle of the Bible. Job is right to the left of that. If uh, you look at Job 29, I want to point out something to you about this, this amazing man. He was a person who embodies these three things, meeting everyday needs, opening up his home to the stranger, and being involved personally and sacrificially with the suffering. Look at Job 29, beginning at verse 11. He says, whoever heard me, whoever heard me spoke well of me, and those who saw me commended me. Because I rescued the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to assist him. The man who was dying blessed me. I made the widow's heart sing. I made, uh, I put on righteousness as my clothing 
Justice was my robe and my turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy and I took up the case of the stranger. I broke the fangs of the wicked and snatched the victims from their teeth. And there's more in Job about that. But I want you to know he is not boasting here. It's not that Job is an arrogant guy who just wants the world to know how righteous he is. That was not the point of him saying this. What he was saying is, I really am seeking to walk humbly with my God and to do justice and love mercy. And yet, look at me, I'm suffering like this. What's the deal? (laughs) See, that's the problem of the book of Job. It's why good people like Job suffer. But the problem was not his pride. He was simply telling us, I try to do this. You should be able to say some of the things. I should be able to say some of the things that Job is talking about here. Because it's a part of a, ju- of a lifestyle of justice. So that's what justice looks like in Hebrews 13. Meeting these everyday needs. Opening up our homes and being hospitable. And really caring for people who are often in our society forgotten and disrespected. Those are the kind of things, men and women and young people, that show your faith to be real. You get it? All right, let's go on to the next thing that I want us to see. Where does this kind of thing come from? This lifestyle of justice, this awareness of others' needs, this willingness not to use people to serve ourselves, but to spend ourselves in order to serve others. Where does that come from? It's not just, we're not born with that. We're born with a very self-centered attitude, right? And, and we fight it constantly, even after we've been redeemed. So where does justice come from? And I'll say three things. It comes from a right view of yourself, a right view of other people, and a right view of God. Let's start with a right view of other people. Justice comes from seeing other people as made in the image of God. There's no way that you and I will live justly And have these kinds of attitudes if we don't see other human beings as God's masterpieces. Made in the very image of God. It doesn't matter who they are, what they've done, where they've been, who they voted for for president. What kind of job they have, whether they're in this country legally or illegally. They are his very reflection. They resemble God in some way. They bear the dignity and glory of God's Creation. Every single human being does. This whole subject, by the way, comes uh, into real focus. If you want to read a great book about it, it's been written by Tim Keller, a fellow pastor in our denomination, pastor of a large church up in New York City, wrote a book called Generous Justice. I would commend this to you. Really challenging, very, very practical. But in that book, he gives this illustration of what I'm trying to talk about right now. He talks about, let's say that uh, you have a friend visiting you from another country. Never been to the U.S. before. So here's this foreigner. He's with you and he tours the American uh, East Coast. And one part of his tour is the Washington, D.C. area. He stops by Mount Vernon. Some of you have been to Mount Vernon. So he stops by Mount Vernon and he's talking to you and he says, I went to see Mount Vernon and uh, it was okay. You know, it was all right, nice plantation, but I've seen other plantations that are bigger, better, much, much prettier than Mount Vernon. And so 
he would say to you, friend, what do you Americans see in that place? Why is it so special to you? And your mouth would drop and you'd say, well, duh, don't you know that that is the home of our first president, George Washington? You would say the design of the house, the quality of the craftsmanship and all of that kind of stuff is irrelevant. And then you would say something like this. We treasure that house because we treasure its owner. That's why it's so special. We treasure the house because we treasure the owner. You see another human being, you treasure that human being because you treasure its owner, his or her creator. He or she resembles God in some way. He's in the image of God. This is why verse 16, go back to Hebrews 13. That's why verse 16 can say, don't forget to do good and share with others for with with such sacrifices, God is pleased. God is pleased when we do justice because we're doing him, we're doing it toward his creatures, his image. The second thing you need, if you're going to be a person of justice, it comes not only from having this right view of other people, but a right view of yourself. You must see yourself as someone who is no different, no better than any human being you meet. Look at verse 3 again. Verse 3 says, remember those in prison. Notice this phrase, as if you were their fellow prisoners. Do you see how you must look at yourself? Look at that person who's suffering. Look at that poor person. Look at the homeless. Look at the unemployed. Look at, look at that single mom as if you were in that same boat. Because in a sense, you are, the writer is saying. Don't you sometimes live in a prison of your own? Every single one of us in this room was born into bondage to sin and to death. And even after we are redeemed, don't we like to sometimes run back to the prison cells of our own making, our own addictions, our own idolatries? Yes, we do. So in so many ways, if it's prisoners that you're ministering to, you can relate to them because you're a prisoner too. You understand life behind bars, life in bondage, life away from where God has called you to be. And look at verse the rest of verse 3. He goes on to say, and remember those who are mistreated. And in the NIV, in which we heard the Bible read this morning, it says, Remember those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Now, that's really a good paraphrase, but it's not what the actual Greek language says. In the actual Greek, it says as if you also are in the body. Interesting, isn't it? Remember those who are mistreated as though you yourselves yourselves are in the body. Now, that doesn't mean in the body of Christ. It means you're in the same kind of situation they are. You're in the same body. You're, a saint, you're an identical kind of human being. You're in the same species as this person. Look at yourself that way. My football coach used to say that team puts their pants on the same way you do. That's what I'm getting at here. That human being that you're ministering to, that person who is suffering, you're in the same boat. You share the same kind of... DNA that that person does. So justice comes from having this right view of people, a right view of yourself, and thirdly, a right view of God. 
a right view of God. How should you look at God? If you're a believer in Jesus this morning, you should look at God as the being who has lavished upon you his undeserved, unearned grace. Verse 12, we didn't read it earlier, but look at verse 12 of Hebrews 13. It says that Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace you bore. he bore. In other words, the way you should always look at God as the God who has lavished grace upon you. Grace upon grace. Because Jesus left his home. You remember earlier from the Westminster Catechism? Did God leave us in this state of sin and misery? No. He sent a Redeemer for himself to save us out of our sins. That's the way you should always look at God. That's why in verse 15 it says, to continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise. Because you can never stop thanking God for the kind of grace he has shown you. I want to show you a movie clip from a movie called The Aviator. Have you ever seen The Aviator? Leonardo DiCaprio plays the role of um, Howard Hughes, early 20th century figure, rich person. The thing you need to know about Howard Hughes is that he had this thing about germs. He didn't want to get contaminated with germs around him. And in this scene, you'll see a particular way that that comes out. Could you uh, reach me a towel? I, uh, I really, uh, can't do that. I'm sorry. I remember when I first saw that movie and I saw that particular scene, I thought, oh my goodness. In so many quarters of the Christian church in America, that's how we have responded to the needy and the poor and the marginalized. God forbid that that ever be the attitude people have toward you, toward me, toward us collectively, where we as God's people turn our backs toward those to whom God has called us to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ. 
Well, I want to leave with you some practical application before we're done. Just five quick points that you can take away. Maybe one, maybe two of these are going to be things that will help you now that we've seen what justice looks like and where it comes from. These things will help you to begin to do justice in your own life if you're not already doing so or if you want to grow in this area. And I'm certain that every single one of us does need to grow. First thing, if you would be a person of justice, start your day every day with a prayer, something like this. God, give me a compassionate awareness of other people. Because I know myself well enough to know that I like to go through my day with blinders on with absolutely little regard for, the where, for where people are around me, for what they've been through, for what they're feeling, for what they're going through now. And so, God, will you make me compassionately aware? Help me not to be in such a hurry today, Lord, that I don't look at people, look at their eyes, listen to their words, feel their hurts, feel their bondages, feel their worries and their afflictions. Make that your prayer. Secondly, Do justice right where you are. You know, I'm not calling on anybody in this room to leave America and go to another country to do justice. Not asking you to uproot and go to some other city. You can do it right here, right where you are, with your next door neighbor, at your kid's school, at UCF. Bosses and managers, do it with your employers, employees and your customers. The people you work with. Do justice right here at church with people that you're sitting around and talking to on Sunday morning. Do you know that there's somebody sitting near you right now that needs your care? Meet the needs you see. Invite somebody over. Reach out and get some germs, quote unquote, on you. Think of it this way, if I could elaborate on number two. Lord, make me a blessing to somebody today. Go back to my airport experience. Before I got on the plane to Charlotte, I was walking down the the hallway toward the gate. And for some reason, the Lord just kind of put this woman over here. And I noticed something about the way she was relating to other people. And it it, it was remarkable. She was a very warm person. Guess who I was sitting next to in the plane? Turns out her name is Pam. And I said to her to start off a conversation, I said, I just want you to know that you seem to be a very warm person. And I was not flirting with her, believe me, okay? I'm not in the market. I said, you seem to be a warm person. You know what that did? It opened the whole door. I got to share the whole gospel with her. We had a marvelous conversation. And I think that I was a blessing to that woman. If you think of it that way, Lord, who can I bless today? You might be surprised at who God leads you to. Thirdly, here's just a practical tip. Read the Gospels. Are you wondering where to read in the Bible these days? Pick up Matthew, read straight through sometime. Read Mark, read Luke, read John. And learn from Jesus how he did justice. It's remarkable. Number four, this is going to be a hard one. Give something away that you value. A piece of furniture some clothing that you like, a commission from a recent sale you made, I'll challenge you this. Give away your car. Wow, that'd be a step of faith, wouldn't it? Give away something you value. Give away some of your savings. Do it again and again and again 
and again until it becomes a way of your life. You're loosening things and giving them away to people who need them more. And finally, find a place to plug in. Just find a place to plug in. Uh, If you are in a life group, let me say this to all of the life groups in the room. Could you as a life group take on a project of doing justice in some way and do it together? The walkabout that we did a few weeks ago was so fantastic. Something like that. Take a prayer walk as a life group or whatnot. Here's a list. I'll just show this to you and you can read through it very quickly. This is a list of some of the things that UPC is involved in already. All of these are justice ministries. Meeting people's needs. Showing hospitality. Being there for the suffering. Maybe as you look at that that list, one of them catches your eye and you think, now that's one I want to know more about. Talk to me or Seth or Matt or one of our elders or one of the admin people in the office, and we'll be glad to connect you with some uh, or more of these kinds of issues, okay? Friends, here's what I want to say to close. This, every stuff I, I ever, everything I've been talking about this morning, this is how we will show our community that our faith is real. It's not just having these worship services as va- va- uh, vit- vitally important as they are. It's not by having a sign out on the street that says UPC worships here. We'll show this community our faith is real by doing justice in the ways that I've talked about. Martin Luther King Jr. in his famous I Have a Dream speech said, We will not be satisfied till justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. And I call us at UPC to not be satisfied either until we are people who do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you cared for us when we were and still are poor and marginalized. Will you help us, Lord, to be people, men, women, children, who exhibit brotherly love, Philadelphia, Philoxenia, hospitality? Would you help us, O Lord, to get over our fears and get involved in the lives of people who are hurting. Will you, Lord, please fill us with your Holy Spirit and change us. Lord, change me. Let this begin right here with me. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.